working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. we're coming in here with, whether it's anxiety or fear or whatever struggles that we're going through, Father, that you would allow us to lay them aside long enough to just sit still in your presence and listen to your word be preached. God, I thank you for David that he boldly preaches the gospel every single week, um, and I pray that as he continues to do that this week in the book of James, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would sanctify us, and that we would leave here more in love with you. Amen. You may be seated. And kids, you are free to go. Mr. Ben's got his hand up back there. What great worship. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Brian and Rachel are both out of town today. They have a few things going on, and they found these amazing musicians and, and told them about our church. So we're so glad. Yeah, give them a hand. Thank you. That was, that was a treat. That was a joy to sing with you and worship with you. I don't say this enough. But I am really, really glad you are here, okay? Like, there's a lot of things that we could be doing. There's so many things going on in the world. But committing yourself to faithfully being here as a body of Christ, we gather on Sunday primarily and first and foremost to worship our Creator, right? But there's so many other things that go along with that. Like, there's edification as we talk with one another, as we pray with one another, um, you know, doing life together as a church. I mean, half of you were here last night at the picnic, had a great time with that. But it is my honor, it's my privilege and joy to open up the scripture and just share to you the truth 
that I've been meditating on and looking at all week. And I'm just so glad that we're all here as a family doing that. So if you have your Bible, please open up to the book of James. We're in a series. It's called Faith Does. And this series is about living your faith in a way that doesn't make people's ears hurt. All right. It's, it's the genuine faith of a believer. And we have now been, this is our third week here. And I have to say that today's message is going to, I've told you a lot about how James is a realist. He comes in there, he packs a punch, he's sarcastic sometimes. We're going to start to get a feel for that today because today's message is about religion. And I know just saying the word religion carries some baggage for some people, okay? You know, you throw that word out there, some people get almost a little PTSD. And it's like, oh, I, I remember this one church I was in before. It was all about duty, and it was about performance, and I felt shame, and I felt guilt, and I couldn't really be myself. And then on the other side of that, you say religion, and some people instantly feel good about themselves. It's like, I'm here on Sunday right now. I got my Sunday best on. I'm patting myself in the back, and I feel like a better person. This word religion um, conveys a lot of different pictures and a lot of different meanings for a lot of different people. But we're here in James. James is a letter that was written by the brother of Jesus. You know, uh, his dad was Joseph. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the only difference there. They both had the same mom. They had the same earthly father. Uh, James wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ during his entire earthly ministry. The entire time Jesus was performing miracles... Jesus was teaching and preaching, showing the world that he was the Messiah. James was over here doubting, being a scoffer, being a skeptic. The only thing that changed James was the resurrected Jesus Christ. James came to him and showed him that he was alive after the resurrection. That changed James from being a, you know, carpenter, tough guy to being one of the leaders and the biggest influencers of the early church. So he's writing this letter to the followers of Jesus Christ. They, at the time, they weren't even called Christians yet. They would have been followers of the way. They had just left their religion, and they were fleeing with religious persecution from a Pharisee named Saul, who was a religious zealot who was going after them. And James's message to them, to the men, the women, and the children, was, you have been changed by the inside out, your identity is new. And that change in identity is going to now change your activity. And this is the way it should look. So that hopefully catches you up to speed on where we're at. We left off last week with James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I, have, I have, could say a whole lot about this verse, but I would say... This is probably the most important verse in the entire book of James. Because if you don't get this verse, you're going to miss the whole meaning of this message about religion. You're going to miss the whole message about the entire book of James. It's going to be very confusing for you, okay? This verse is the backbone not only of this message, but really of the entire series. And it's this message that God has called out his own. Men, women, and children by name. He's given you a new identity. He's he has saved you, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved you. And he has grand plans for you. He wants to do amazing things through your life that you can't even dream of. And it's 
all of his own will that he brought you forth. It's nothing that you did that accomplished that. So most religions get this the other way around. Since we're talking about religion today, we may as well say this. They say that you change your activity, you start doing good things, and that will eventually change who you are. You'll become a good person because you did all these wonderful things. Biblical Christianity, the book of James is teaching us that your identity changes your activity. Do you see how it's the other way around? This was, if you remember, on our very first sermon in this series, the very first point when we looked at the life of James, this was how we started this entire series. Your identity changes your activity, and if you miss that, you're going to be very confused by religion, and you're going to get the wrong message today. I don't want you to get the wrong message. I've talked to so many people over the years who don't get this. I was, I was thinking about it just this week, and I remember I had a conversation one time with a guy, really awesome, sharp guy. He was in the Air Force, Hispanic guy. Like, he had his life on point. A Mormon had knocked on his door and told him how to change his activity to be a good person. And he was living high off that when I talked to him. This is a few years ago now. But, I mean, he thought it was, it was awesome. He was, he, was, he was loving his life because he had some things straightened out. He wasn't making all the same mistakes he used to make. But here's the dirty secret about religion. If that's all it is for you, just doing good things, being a good person, it's not going to last. It won't, it won't end up well. You'll either get prideful and start treating people poorly, You'll either get in this performance-oriented mode where you start feeling guilty because you can't measure up and you keep making the same mistakes. You get angry. You get intimidated. There's a lot of disenfranchised people when it comes to religion because they don't understand pure religion. And that's what James is going to teach us today. Some of us in this room know what religion sounds like. And you've seen the good side and the bad side. I grew up in the church. I've seen this really my whole life. I, I mean, my, when I was born, my dad was pastoring in Wisconsin. He moved to Atlanta for a few years, did real estate. And then when I was in kindergarten, he got back in the ministry. My dad's been a pastor almost my entire life. I grew up in a Christian school. I have seen people get turned off and turned away from the faith. And most of the time, it's because they don't understand what true biblical Christianity is all about, and they have a misidentified concept of real, pure religion. So, verse 18 shows us the backbone of this message, your identity changes your activity. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. And this is the, tr the word of truth that this is referring to in James 1.18 is the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that we've ever received. The Father of lights, God the Father, sent Jesus into this world to die for your sin as a substitutionary sacrifice. He is an atonement for your sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he loved us so much he wanted to restore that relationship with us. So he sent Jesus, who lived a perfect sinless life. And Jesus took your sin upon himself and he paid the price that you deserved, which was death. But we know that Jesus rose again. He appeared to James. He, changed, he flipped the whole world upside down. And he defeated sin and death. And we, by faith, can put our trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. 
of his own will he brought us forth by faith in that good news right there. That's the message of biblical Christianity, and it's different than every other religion out there in this world. Religion says do, do this and do that. Jesus says done. Jesus paid it all. Now with all that said, let's read the text together today, and we can see what James tells us, being led by the Holy Spirit, what pure religion actually looks like. Let's begin in verse 19. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a lot of things that we can do in life. It's almost like a never-ending list of things to do. And many times we can let that American materialism, consumer culture that we have to go, 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 we can let that infect our faith. And we can add to our faith a list of checkboxes and things that we have to do and be and say. Right here, James strips all of that back and he tells us, don't get overwhelmed by everything you're supposed to do. That's another reason why people get overwhelmed with religion and, and have a hard time with religion. And there's a few things that we need to focus on today. To help you out, just to back up for a minute, Jesus Christ himself, what does he say about what we're supposed to do? Okay, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked this, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he said, the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said, hey, if you want to be who you're supposed to be as a follower of me, these are the two things you need to focus on. Love God and let that motivate you and inspire you to then love others. There's just two things. And everything else will flow from there. It will all take care of itself if you're doing those two things. Two rules. Similarly, James is talking about pure, undefiled religion in this passage, and he gives us two points, okay? And we only have two points today. Two ways that you can be a doer and not a hearer only. No one likes a hypocrite. No one likes uh, someone who pretends to be something they're not. No one likes to give you something that you are supposed to do, and they put a standard over you, and they don't even follow that themselves. That really turns people off. It's true in every area of life, but especially it's the worst in religion. So James is sharing two practical ways that we live out a genuine faith. 
with a high fidelity sound that doesn't make people's ears hurt. And here's the first way. Number one, slow down and listen to the word. Take a deep breath. Step back. Slow down. I know that's hard to do sometimes, right? And listen to the word. Verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When I first re read through these verses, just like every week, when I read the passage, I immediately start writing down questions that I have, like little hooks, like what does that mean? Like, oh, I need to dive into that word a little bit more. I'm just trying to like map out where we're going to go with this. One of the first things that jumped out at me this week was, was how in verse 19 and 20, it's talking about not being angry with your words. And then in verse 26, it talks about bridling your tongue. All right? Stop talking and start listening. And then, then you can talk the right way. And I'm like, how does that connect? In a section of scripture about pure and undefiled religion, why do you think it begins and ends with controlling anger before it comes out of your mouth? I mean, really, why is that? Why do you think? Could it be that when Christians say things in a way that's not loving and not kind and not graceful, it's a huge turnoff to what we're supposed to be doing and showing the love of God? When we get angry and we lose our testimony and our witness uh, for what Christ wants us to be in the way that we say something, that's, that's a problem. And here's the truth. There's always going to be something to be angry over. Really, there, there, there are a lot of things that can get us angry and upset. We live in a fallen world. Most of the people around us don't know the truth, and they're not living by the truth, right? They have a different agenda with a different mindset. So things are going to irritate us. Things are going to bother us. That's going to happen. But these people are lost, and they don't know Jesus, and they don't have the same hope. They don't have the same passion and joy that we can have through, through Jesus, so I love how James says it in verse 20. He just says, look, what you say, be careful. Don't let it be an angry, callous sound because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He just went there. There's no like six list, uh, like a list of six ways that you can like work through your feelings and emotions and be this more smooth person. Like, no, he just says, it doesn't produce the righteousness of God, okay? So stop doing what you're doing and speak calmly and slow down and listen. He goes straight to the heart of the problem. Straight to their calling to shine the glory of God. That's his righteousness. He didn't park on anger or anything like that. He just says, look, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So slow down. Listen. Humble faith in the gospel is what pleases God. And your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ is to shine his glory, to show his light in this dark world. And if you, what you're saying isn't producing the righteousness of God, you need to close your mouth, listen to the Holy Spirit, change that harsh, callous tone, and give some good sound that comes out of your speakers in your car. Not stuff that will turn people off. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. My mom would always tell me, David, you have two ears and one mouth. 
That means you should listen more than you speak. And if you know my sister and I, uh, my mom said that a lot in our household. She said that all the time, okay? We've heard a lot of that. But this is wisdom. It's laid out repeatedly through the book of Proverbs. And here it is again in the New Testament book of Proverbs, the book of James that some people call it. Don't be in a hurry to talk. Lead with your ears and then follow with your tongue. So I have to ask you, how are you doing on this? My wife would probably like to ask me, how are you doing on this, David? Like, this is a convicting and challenging message for me. I've been, I've been working through this all week. Do you listen more than you talk? Do you have margin in your life to slow down, stop going and going and going, and listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to the voice of the Lord? Do you look at your angry outbursts as something that interferes with your calling to shine the light of Jesus in this dark world? Because it can very much interfere. These are the reminders that I need every single day. And uh, Julie hung up James 1.19 right above the pantry in our kitchen. We have it there as a constant reminder, and we need it as a constant reminder. I specifically do. On Wednesday this week, I, I had a horrible experience at a coffee shop. It doesn't happen very often, but like with coronavirus, people's, people's emotions are turned up, cranked up, right? Like I had a very rough, rude experience with this, this barista. Like I was upset about it. It got me stirred up. I wanted to jump on Yelp and just give a, give a review. I was this close to doing it. Thankfully, in God's, God's uh, foreknowledge, he had me like working through this text at the same time and I held back and I didn't do something that I would have regretted. But it is not easy when people say things and do things that are just flat wrong. I wanna, I wanna speak my mind sometimes, but it's not up to me to correct every wrong. It's my calling to show the love and the mercy of God with my words, so I have to take a step back. Now, if you're like James, all you need is cut it out. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. End of story, period, let's move on. I know we don't all work that way though, and James actually does. You can mine out a list of helpful, practical ways that we can slow down, listen to the word, and not rifle off with our natural impulses, okay? He says here, be swift to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. Take time to listen to both sides of the story. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't have regrets by blurting out whatever comes to your mind when you were hot. And I would say instant communication that we have in the world today is a huge blessing. It's, it's great. There's a lot of benefits of that. But it's also a curse. You can fire off a text. You can shoot off a nasty comment without even looking at the person face to face. You can lose the human element. And then you can say something that, yeah, it felt good for five seconds. But wow, what did I just do? We've all been there, right? There's something to be said for getting out a pen, writing out your thoughts, um, think through what you want to say. And there's more here. There's more to this list, though. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's two more things for your list here. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. The phrase to put away from verse 21 in the original Greek, James is using a metaphor here 
about stripping off your old nasty clothes. So just think, you're working outside, you're sweating, your shirt's drenched, drenched in sticky, yucky sweat, and you got red clay all over your jeans, and you walk in, you get a glass of water, you're either throwing those clothes like straight in the washing machine or you're just pitching them in the trash can, right, before you go get the shower. It's like strip that nastiness off and throw it away. I had a job in college where I was a cook in a kitchen, and on the weekends, on Friday nights, I would fry wings, and on Sundays, I would fry chicken. And I had these fryers where I was like always spilling like chicken grease on my shoes. And if I was a college guy, so I wasn't going to walk out of there like smelling like a fryer. So I just kept my clothes in my locker the whole semester. And by the end of the semester, my vans were literally like caked in grease and they were stiff. What did I do with those? I just threw them away, okay? I did not take them out of the room. That's what we're supposed to do with the filthiness and the wickedness that's inside of us. Now, already, do you see how this doesn't even sound like a religious thing? Biblical Christianity is real. We know that we're not perfect, okay? We have issues. Just because we're saved by the grace of Jesus doesn't mean we're immediately perfect people. He goes into this process of transforming us, but we all still have bad things about us that we're working through and that we're getting past. And whenever the Bible says to put off something, to throw it away, it never just leaves it at that. It's always replace it with something else. So put off, let's be, let's be real, let's get rid of that, that ugly side that we have and replace it with the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put off and put on something totally different. Um, James is telling you like it is. You have to ship it away. You put this new thing in place. This implanted word is something that the Holy Spirit provides to believers. Remember the context here. James is writing this to Christians who are fleeing religious, you know, they're, they're, they're being religiously persecuted. They're fleeing people who don't let them stay in their home anymore. These are followers of Jesus Christ. So to save your souls can't be talking about salvation. Uh, these people have already given their lives to Jesus, right? A lost person doesn't have the implanted truth in their heart. That's, that's speaking to a Christian. So what James is saying is be slow to speak, slow to hear, slow to wrath, and you do that by casting off your sinful desires. If you connect this back with verse 14 that earlier in the chapter, tap into the truth that has been revealed to you that's now in your heart, and this takes meekness. This is strength under control. It's true humility that is bold, not because of what you've done, but is bold because of your new identity in Jesus Christ, what he has done. When you know Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit convicts you of things that used to not even bother you. But now they do. And, I mean, I'm not here to make anyone doubt their salvation, but as we're going to move into, like, chapter 2 here in a couple weeks... We're going to go way, James is really going to dive deeper into this whole concept of what is genuine faith. Does just claiming to be a Christian save you? No, not at all. You can profess to be a believer and not really know Jesus. Jesus even said, there's going to be people who cast out demons in my name, and in the final day of judgment, I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but if there's no fruit, if there's no change in activity, your identity didn't change. 
okay? Because if that caterpillar turns into the butterfly and sprouts wings, it will fly. And if you don't have a conviction over the sin that you've done, if it's just fine, like I'll just keep doing what I want to do, and nothing has really changed in your heart, that's something that you should really take seriously and you should examine your own heart. I'll leave it at that. The Holy Spirit will convict you. But when the Holy Spirit shows us as followers of Jesus what we've done wrong, that's when we need to run to him. That's when we need to tap into the truth that he's revealed to us in his word. Listen to the Holy Spirit who's talking to you and speaking to you and realize that God's way is the best way. Whenever God says don't, do you remember what that means? We talk about this a lot. When God says don't is what he really means is don't hurt yourself. He's not going to give you a rule. He's not going to give you a command or a principle just to give you something. He's always looking out for his own children, okay? I have kids. When I tell them not to do something, it's always because I don't want them to get hurt. Don't put your hand on the oven, right? Don't burn yourself. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. If he says don't, he, what he means is don't hurt yourself. So this line, this will save your souls, it's not talking about salvation from the wrath of God for your sin. That's under the blood already. It has to be talking about the rest of your life here on earth. Not your eternal destiny, but the life that God has for you right now. Let God communicate to you more than just on Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here right now. Seriously, you need to be here. We need to hear the word. But we need to hear it more than just Sunday, right? We have to. We have to get in the word ourselves and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. We have to slow down. Even Christians can sin. We can make horrific decisions that will zap the life right out of us. We can do things that we will suffer the consequences of. And this is the warning. God says, I want you to not be in this unnecessary pain. I want you to thrive and to have joy and to have peace. So slow down and listen to the word. Now, there's one more thing about verse 21. To save, it's in the present tense. That means it's not a one-time thing. Um, and really, we're moving into chapter 2 in the next couple weeks. We're going to be in this a lot more. But James is not saying he's talking about, like, your justification. He's talking about, right here, the process of transformation, which is your sanctification. Salvation is very simple, yet it's profoundly deep. There's really three different segments of our salvation. There's justification, which is to be saved, a one-time act where God declares us righteous from the penalty of sin because he looks at Jesus's sacrifice for us, which is imputed unto our account. And then there's also sanctification. It's the process of being saved from the power of sin. We're all growing in that right now, all of us who know Jesus. And then there's glorification. This is the one to come. It's, it's the coming salvation and freedom from the presence of sin. So right now, James is talking about the process of transformation, sanctification aspect of our salvation. So slow down, listen to the word. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now the next phrase in verse 22 is really the swing verse of this whole, this whole unit of scripture, okay? It's the transition between the first point and the second point today. And it's really 
the crux of the entire letter. This is, this is where we get the title of our series, all right? James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2. You don't do anything in your, for your salvation besides believe in Jesus. He does all the work, but once you are given that new identity, you have a new activity. So here's the second point, step two, point two, step up and live out the word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can deceive yourself into thinking that you're a Christian and not really have Jesus Christ. You can, you can get messed up. There's religious people out there who don't have this. We talked about this a little bit already. This is why, though, false professing followers of Jesus who don't, they have an angry sound coming out of their mouth. They don't really have a changed heart. That's how Christianity can get a bad name. That's why it can be a turnoff for so many people. A lot of talk, not a lot of listening, and no action. We can't drift into that. We can't fall into that. That's a distorted, fuzzy, bad reception from your old car system, old car sound system. It does not do justice to the original recording of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just listen to God's word. You also have to do God's work. Hearing a good sermon is a starting point. Listen to the docs of dialogue. Do all these things. Get in the word. But your attendance alone will not make you spiritual. It can't. Change happens when you allow the Bible to change your actions, when you apply what you're hearing. So let's look at James go off on this. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. Now, before we get caught up in the fact that James wouldn't have had like a mirror that we know of today, because what James would have had here is actually a really nice piece of bronze that was shined, like really shiny piece of bronze that you could look at in this day, and they used it as a mirror. And here's his illustration. You wake up in the morning. You look in the mirror. You see a speck of spinach in your teeth that you didn't get last night and you didn't brush your teeth. Well, who, who am I kidding? Half of us were here. We didn't eat any spinach last night, right? You see, you see a speck of brownie in your teeth that you missed from last night. And I mean, but who wouldn't brush their teeth and get that straight? Now, I'm looking at everyone here. Everyone is very put together. Everyone is looking sharp today, okay? You, you didn't just roll out of bed that way, right? You looked at yourself in the mirror and you adjusted a few things. James says, don't be the seven-year-old boy who looks in the mirror. I have a seven-year-old boy in my home. They look in the mirror and they move on. They could care less. <laughs> be the 17-year-old girl who looks in the mirror. All right? Looking intently. Now, I, I want to be careful here. Um, but to my knowledge, this is one of the only the two or three times in the Bible where like a 17-year-old girl is holding the, girl, the gold standard. <laughs> they spend the time in the mirror, right? And I, 
I don't think any other age really spends more time in the mirror. Like when you're in college, you get busier. You don't have as much time. When you're older lady, you, you're, you get faster at doing your hair and all that. I mean, if you're a mom, if you're 37 or whatever, like, I mean, hopefully you're not spending as much time in the mirror as you spent when you were 17. That might be a problem if you were. I want to quickly move on from this, though, because I'm definitely out of my lane. But the <laughs> point is, <laughs> the point is, Look intently, spend some time, get serious. What is, this, what is this revealing about me? What do I need to fix? Uh, verse 25 says it. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no here who forgets but to do her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And there's more to this illustration because James is now making a contrast between the imperfect bronze mirror and the perfect word of God. There's no distortions, there's no cloudy views with the perfect law of liberty. In the original Greek, this word look is connected to looked intensely from verse 23, but it's not just gazing in a mirror anymore like it was previously. Now, he's using an even stronger word in verse 25, and this is more like just straight up staring, okay? So we, went, we moved on from the 17-year-old girl, and now you're like a person who lost their contact and you're, has any, does anybody still have gas permeable contacts? I just don't even know. I, I, wear, I don't wear soft contacts. I'm wearing glasses right now. But most people don't even have the kind of contacts I have. But the kind of contacts I have are really small. They're like a little piece of glass that you put in your eye. And if you, if you lose them, if, if you drop them, they will bounce all over the bathroom. So you have to get on your hands and your knees, and it's really gross, but you have to look all over every nook and cranny of the bathroom to try to find that missing contact. That's the image I get when it says to literally stare intently at the, look into, this is what the original James is telling us, look into the perfect law of liberty. Don't just hear a sermon and go on your merry way. No, get in the word of God and focus on what the truth is revealing to you. You have to take this seriously. So what's the law of liberty, okay? Well, that's the new covenant. This is freedom from the old Jewish religious practices. They aren't under the Mosaic law anymore. They have freedom through Jesus Christ. And now you're looking at ways and ways specifically that you can apply the truths that Jesus taught. That's the law of freedom, the law of liberty. Have you ever been convicted of something that you need to change and then something comes up and you move on, you fix that, and then you forget about what you were convicted of that you needed to change. I mean, I've done it this week. Like, we, we all do this, right? That's what James is warning us of. I know I need to go to the dentist, but I forgot, and I, I'm, not, I'm not at the dentist yet. Or I know I need to get engaged in a life group, or I know I need to, um, you know, get in a serve team at church. You, you know the Holy Spirit's telling you you need to do these things. There's too much other noise in your life right now. You need to slow down and make it a priority to be a follower of Jesus. But something in this busy, hectic world comes in and distracts us. James is saying, don't look at the mirror and move away without correcting it, okay? And there's two ways this usually happens. We rationalize and we procrastinate. Those are the two ways that it works. The enemy wants you to think, no one is perfect. You're doing okay, honey. You're doing the best you can. You know, you know, it's fine. That person is way worse off than you are. 
Look at those losers at work that you, that you work with. I mean, you're so much better than them. That's rationalization. God has plans for you that you can't even dream of, so you have to stop handicapping yourself by comparing yourself to other people that don't even know Jesus. There's always going to be someone who makes you look better, okay? There's always going to be someone who makes us look worse. We're to look at Jesus Christ. And then you have procrastination. Yeah, next week I'm going to do that. You know, just give me five more months. I'm going to get these finances in order and get this one down payment off. And then I'm going to start giving generously. That never works. I heard someone say once that Satan's two favorite lies are just one more time and tomorrow. He throws us off. The Bible always says today. Today is the day. Now is the acceptable time. Look again at verse 25. But the one who looks in the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now this isn't a cakewalk. The word perseverance should tell you all you need to know. There are phonies, there are religious people out there who just do it out of convenience that will fade, and the trials, when the trials and temptations pick up, those people will fall. But to be a doer who acts, you have to step up and you have to live out the word. That's how you will be blessed by God. This message, believe me, is not to make you feel guilty. That's what religion does. This message is to present to you what the Holy Spirit is speaking through James. Okay? So I don't want me to guilt you into anything. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now and to reveal to you what I need to change. What I should stop doing right now and not put off another day. You know where you can do better and do more. It starts with being faithful on Sundays. You know that you have opportunities on Monday to speak up and say something about Jesus and share the truth that you know and that has changed your life. So say it, right? There's so many avenues that you can go into here, and I'm not about guilting you into religious duty. That never works. But listen to the Holy Spirit and make the choice right now to do what he convicts you to do. Now, finally, James is ready to define real religion. Pure religion, here comes the definition in verses 26 and 27. And he gives us three practical ways that we can demonstrate our love for God. I'm going to read these two verses. And as I read them, I want you to look for these three. See if you can find them. James 1.26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and to visit widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see the three? Spirit-filled speaking, bridle your tongue, selfless giving. This is visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, people who are marginalized in our society, we should be lifting them up. And then we have separated living. 
Keep yourself unstained from the world. The world system that doesn't know Jesus, that is living their own life apart from God, they have different goals and motives and desires, okay? And if we listen too much to them, that is going to get us off track. So I think it's, it says a lot about the heart of God, um, just what's not on this list, right? You don't see any of the man-made religious Items that we elevate sometimes on this list. Dress standards, conformity or else guilt, duty and performance, and, and this legalism that creates pride in people. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, it matters the way you dress. Like, that communicates something, of course. Like, the entertainment you subject yourself to will have a massive influence on you. All those things are going to flow from loving God and loving your neighbor, 100%. But those are issues that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you in. Those are not issues that you need to check off the list because some religious person told you you should do them. The Holy Spirit needs to lead you and guide you. And of course, you can pray with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You can have conversations with them. That's a big part of it. But Christianity is not about the man-made stuff. It's about worshiping Jesus Christ, our Savior, it's about reflecting the glory of God, walking in relation with him, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the fruit of that, again, is loving your neighbor as yourself. That, that neighbor there isn't just the people who have the same economic, socioeconomic class that you have, that drive the same type of cars, that like the same kind of music that you listen to. No, your neighbor is anyone who's around you. So when you go to the grocery store, those people that you're in line with are your neighbors. Everybody that you rub shoulders with at work, wherever it is, is your neighbor. And those are the people that you are supposed to love with genuine, pure religion. These are the three things that James ends with. You can have a tongue that is tamed by God where you don't just say what you want to say the minute you want to say it. You stop fighting for your rights and everything that you want to correct in this world. And then it all goes through a filter of how can I point this lost, sad person to the hope that I have in Jesus Christ? That takes priority in what you say. So ask yourself, is what I'm saying to them showing the love of God? That there is a meaning to this life. There is a purpose in this life that's bigger than ourselves. That's spirit-filled speaking. And then you're going to care about the needs of others, especially those who are marginalized and unable to thrive on their own. We could really preach a sermon on like just these three points, and that would be an awesome thing to do at some point in time. But yeah, we should visit widows and orphans. Use your God-given strength to lift them up and build them up. That's what selfless giving is all about. And should the church initiate this? Yes, 100% yes. This is why we bake into our life group structure like once every five weeks we, we want to get in the community and serve. That's not enough, though. We can't just serve once every five weeks, and even that can be hard because our schedules are weird and, and complicated, and, and our whole society isn't even used to a church doing something like that. So... Our church also wants to bake into the equation margin in your life so you have, you have a worship service, you have a life group, and then the rest of your time is free to invest in your neighbors, to show love to people. You can't just do this through the church and then blame the church when it doesn't happen. 
You're supposed to be the church 24-7, right? That's visiting widows and orphans, loving your neighbors. And then you have keep yourself unstained from the world. Paul said to the Corinthians, if you remember this like a year ago, you are in the world, but don't be of the world. They have a different worldview. They have a different agenda than you do as a Christian, a Christ follower. You have a new identity which should be producing a new activity. You should be different. So if you sound the exact same, you better step back and examine yourself. You can stain yourself with the world's energy and their mentality. And listen, there's a lot coming at us from media, from music, from you name it. It's all, the world's message conflicts with this message of pure religion. It's about elevating yourself. It's not about elevating Jesus Christ and then, and then you move up along with him. If you're listening more to them than you're listening to God and his word, you are in danger of deceiving yourself from the truth. And this, this truth applies to both ends of the spectrum, okay? Should you be yelling about what the angry mob is yelling about? No, you shouldn't. Should you be over here um, saying what the career conservative political politician is saying at all times, and that's your, man, your battle cry? No, that shouldn't be your battle cry either. We should be different and focused on God's glory and his kingdom and the gospel. Religion isn't a bad word, but there is a lot of bad religion. And bad religion stains the name of Jesus Christ. We are being called to rise above that, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Worship team, you can, you can come up right now as we close this down. Unbiblical Christianity breeds some of the worst things on earth, okay? Stifling, critical, inconsistent religion, it messes with people. And if we're not careful, we can drift into that. Because the root of it all is pride. Later in this letter, James is going to wax poetic about this more in depth. But he's going to say that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That truly is the antidote for getting into this legalistic religious mindset. So church family, let me just say this heart to heart. If you have struggled with religion, if you have been hurt by a church that emphasizes the wrong things. You know, you hear more about the length of your dress than you do about real justice. Or when you feel pressure to fall in line and don't feel like you can even ask questions and be honest with where you're at and what you're actually struggling with. We're all struggling with things that you may not want to talk about. But this is a church that believes in pure religion and we believe we should be real about it and honest with it. And it is difficult. It gets messy. But you are in a place where we love you and we care for you and we don't really care about the phony religious stuff that elevates an outward posture and ignores what's going on in the heart. Unrealistic expectations with the wrong emphasis leads to depression. It leads to dryness in the word of God. It leads to fear and doubt and shame. And if you're feeling that today, you're in a church full of people who want to help you. 
who are walking through the same types of things. We want to talk to you about that. All you have to do is follow these two points that James gives us. Slow down. Listen to the word. Step up and live out the word. Be a doer and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. This is the word that we have to get into. At the same time, Jesus Christ is the word. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And our faith is not about standards and morals. It's much more than that. It's about worshiping our creator. It's about following our savior, Jesus Christ. It's about showing the glory of God. So would you stand up with me today? Jesus is the one who changes your identity when you look to him in faith. He washes you white as snow. He is the only one who can change the leopard spots, okay? We can't do that. We can do a lot of religious things and we can get tired and we can get worn out and we can quit or get angry. Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. This is all about worshiping Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every one of your problems. Pure and undefiled religion says it's not about me and looking good. It's about the love that Jesus poured out on me. And it's about doing the loving things that he has already done for me. Let's sing together and respond to our Savior. the Savior say.